Hello, and welcome to Smart Supply Chain, a podcast produced by ALOM, featuring industry experts offering insight and clarity on a variety of supply chain topics. I'm your host, Jennifer Duell. As an environmentally and socially conscious global supply chain services provider, ALOM offers Six Sigma quality, technology leadership, flexibility, and true customer focus. ALOM delivers its clients' products flawlessly, enriching the end user experience and upholding their brand reputations. Our guest expert is Hannah Kane, CEO of ALOM. I want to thank you for being here today, Hannah. Absolutely, my pleasure. So we're going to talk about forced labor in the supply chain, and I'm going to read off some stats to kick off our episode. 50 million people on a worldwide basis are in modern slavery. The majority of those people are women and children, 30 million. Human trafficking Mm -hmm. is a problem in over 161 countries. 800,000 people are trafficked across borders annually. Human trafficking is very profitable. It's a multi-million dollar business. When you hear these stats, what are your initial thoughts? What is the... Well, it's a human tragedy, right? It's a lot of people who are imprisoned and destroying their lives. And to be honest, I have a personal connection to this issue because my dad was in concentration camp and... While he was in concentration camp, he was forced to do labor that uh, he was really against, was really helping his captures. And so I I have a very personal connection to uh, this issue and uh, will do whatever I can to put a stop to it. Grace Forrest, the founder and director of Walk Free, said slavery is all around us in the clothes we wear, the toys we buy our children, the food we eat. So at the most basic level, she's talking about supply chains, isn't she? Yeah, so a lot of this is a supply chain and the labor that's in the supply chain. And most of the issues are overseas, but we have a lot of issues in the U.S. also. I live in Silicon Valley, and actually the Greater Bay Area is known to be one of the key areas where there's a lot of enslaved labor. There's also sweatshops in the U.S. Most of it, though, is overseas. Do you think that most people are aware of the extent or the gravity of slave labor and of modern slavery and think about that the clothes they're buying or the food they're eating or toys or cars or anything really could be made and might have been touched by someone who was enslaved? No, I think most people are are oblivious to that problem. And I also do think that to a large extent, it's incumbent on the companies that produce uh, products, whether overseas or domestically, to be very conscious of these issues and to be vigilant. So there needs to be some governance around the entire issue of How are we dealing with people in the supply chain? What's the human aspect of our supply chain? So that actually is a great segue into my next question. The Harvard Business Review published an article last year titled A More Sustainable Supply Chain. And the premise of the piece was that companies tend to focus on their top tier suppliers, but the real risks are actually lower down in the supply chain. And they mentioned this cascade effect. 
the idea that multinational corporations commit to work with their top tier suppliers and ask them to adhere to specific social and environmental standards. Then the first tier suppliers ask their suppliers, what do you think about this cascade effect? I think it's absolutely correct. And we have much evidence to that including that some of the worst workplaces in the world is in mining. And the mining operations are generally hugely dangerous, often done with humans who are subjected to very poor conditions uh, and often actually enslaved labor. And so in the U.S. there's a Conflict Minerals Act that requires you to trace certain minerals back to mines to make sure that it's not enslaved labor, prison labor used for the mines. I think it all starts with the mining and then it goes to smelters and upwards from there. And I think the further down in the supply chain we get, the generally the work conditions are. When we had the horrific fire in Bangladesh a couple of years back, where clothing workers burned, the factory burned, it was clear that that was an unsafe workplace. People did go there by their own volition and they worked voluntarily, but it was still a bad work condition. And so you have this range of really bad work conditions in in some supply chains. And I believe that it's incumbent on us to be part of weeding that out, both as consumers, but also, as I said, as corporations and have vigilance on several tiers back in the supply chain. Overall, it's, of course, a question of who do you choose to work within the supply chain? Who do you give your business to? And how do they look at the world? And if they look at human beings with respect for human life and human freedom, then they will also have the same vigilance as they go down the tiers. And so being aligned around that in the supply chain is hugely important. So would you say that as you go down the supply chain, tier by tier, do you feel like that risk grows exponentially? It isn't just a little bit more risk, it's a lot more risk? I'd say it's a lot more risk. If you can't see it, if you can't monitor it, if you can't measure it, it becomes very risky. And the more you go down, the harder it is to really have that type of governance. So yeah, it's much more risk. Right. So the same Harvard Business Review article actually said that part of the issue with the supply chain and the risk related to adhering to social environmental standards, specifically with forced labor, was ignorance, that ignorance was the biggest issue. But it's really about, to your point, being able to monitor it and to surveil it and to just have visibility into that aspect of the supply chain. Yeah, I think it starts, as I said, with values alignment, that do you have respect for human life, uh, the value of humans in general. And once you start having that alignment, then you still need to monitor and you still need to measure and you still need to have eyes on the situation. But that being said, it does get easier once you have alignment around that. We have all been so focused on driving down the unit cost of anything we produce and driving that price point down sometimes requires factories to take shortcuts. And so 
I think it's time for us to think about what are the values we want, and then given that, which price point can we have? So we don't want our suppliers to have practices that are causing pollution or causing human harm, etc. And I think this entire movement comes from the consumers. I'm really happy that the consumers are pushing back and the corporations need to take that to heart and really understand what's happening in the supply chain and be aligned around that. Yes, you still want a good price point, but if you are pushing people too much, then you are really forcing them into practices that you don't want to see. So it's to the point of, as a consumer, am I willing to pay more to ensure that my food or my consumer goods or whatever I'm purchasing is created in a sustainable and an ethical way? Definitely, there's some thoughts around that. And I think we have some good players out there and we have got the not so good actors. And the consumers should have more visibility to who's who. Why are supply chains at risk for forced labor? Are supply chains one of the more vulnerable places? Any place where you have labor that's manual, is very high risk. I don't know that supply chains are much more than other places. I don't think that it's only supply chains, but supply chains have huge factories. And anytime you create something like mass factories, there's a risk. And I've got to say that, again, the price point being driven down so much where you're saying, okay, we need to use labor that's really cheap in order to achieve that price point. And where do you find that? You come in and you occupy an area and you force everybody to work. You actually wrote a blog about this a few months ago, and it was about sailors being unable to leave the ship, being forced to stay on the sea. Can you tell us about that? So what happened during COVID was that nobody would let the sailors off because of the fear of COVID. And it got so bad that sailors were stopped for upwards of a year. And of course, that's a tragedy for those sailors that were, in fact, they were really imprisoned on the ship and couldn't be there for their kids and their spouses and so forth. So 700 organizations got together and signed something called the Neptune Agreement, and that was to provide relief for those sailors. These type of things are still happening. And, you know, it is a problem. And uh, right now, many of the sailors that are stuck simply cannot return home. And it is about how do we treat people in the supply chain? Are we willing to look out for them, for the people who are producing and transporting everything that we are consuming. Because to your point, anytime that you are in production, there is a chance for there to be forced labor or unsafe work conditions. Yeah, it's a risk. And here's the deal. When we think about how do we mitigate risk and how do we ensure a product is correct, In the old days, we would send it out to a lab and the lab would test and say, oh, there's not this ingredient in it or there's that ingredient in it. 
But here we are talking about practices in the supply chain. So we cannot send that out to a lab. We've got to monitor each stage in the supply chain. It's much more cumbersome. It's harder to do. And Jennifer, you were just talking about the multi-tier risk and how the risk gets much higher the further away we get from the final delivery point. And to that point, when you think about it, you have the mind and you're transporting things, for instance, to a smelter, you're transporting the raw ore or whatever to a smelter. Just that transportation again becomes a risk point. And so each time you transport things, each time you produce any component in this cycle, you have a risk. And so the risk is certainly there all the way through the the supply chain. You said something earlier that a lot of it is about choosing your partners very carefully. There is this idea of you want to trust the companies that you align with, but trust, but verify. Yes. So there's a lot to be said in favor of also verifying. Many U.S. corporations, many European corporations have outsourced production to China and China, you cannot get in and verify how production is going. And yeah, that's a big issue. At the same time, of course, anytime you have a system where a government where possibly somebody could get penalized for their opinion, that is also an issue seen from an auditing standpoint. So, for instance, in China, a number of the independent auditors who used to be the eyes and ears on the ground no longer want to perform audits because they are concerned about they are going to be imprisoned. And that's a big concern that we all need to consider how we compensate for that. I personally think it's very close to impossible to entirely compensate for that. But there are ways you can do it, doing virtual audits and uh, surprise audits. It's certainly an area of concern to me as I am very involved in preventing human abuse in the supply chain. I actually read somewhere that you're at greater risk of being hit by a bolt of lightning than you are of going to jail if you enslave someone and force them to work in South Asia. You know, there's all these bolt of lightning comparisons, and I'm not sure I really believe in them, but I I think that it's correct. I do think that it's very possible, and there are some areas of the world where it's very easy to do and uh, not easily discoverable. Do you think that there's an expense related to monitoring? In China, people going into these facilities and the expense being for them, possible imprisonment if they speak out or say anything. But I'm talking about the actual, is it a line item cost? Oh, absolutely. So if you look at it over the last decades, what has happened is manufacturing cost has gone down year after year. So it's cheaper and cheaper to manufacture everything. But the supply chain cost has gone up. And part of the supply chain cost is the entire monitoring and governance. Enslaved labor is certainly one of those line items. Other areas could be adherence to specifications, uh, product quality, the components, ethical payment practices, non-bribery, and of course, sustainability, right? Sustainability is one of the key areas where we have increased monitoring and also increased understanding in the supply chain of the importance of that. 
And then, of course, you have where do the raw materials come from? How many trees had to be felled to do this? So there's a lot of considerations when you design and execute your supply chain. And I believe that is a huge item. And for many corporations, that may be just the same size line item as the manufacturing itself. The root cause of modern slavery, is it greed? Is it just about exploiting vulnerabilities of weaker people? I think it's a combination of what you're saying. And there's also some liability on the purchaser who's pressing the prices so much that everybody goes, oh, there's only one way I can deliver it, and that's by exploiting others. We've got to think about how we can create a supply chain where we are not exploiting each other, but where we are creating win-win situations. You want, obviously, to pay a low price as a consumer, but by you paying a low price, it's actually costing someone else, and it's possibly costing someone else their freedom and their life. That is a good way of thinking on it. I think if the consumer walked into, let's say, a car lot and uh, one vehicle had a sticker of, say, $20,000, but next to it, it said, okay, we had 500 people who were slave labor work on this, and then we shipped it all over the world. So the carbon footprint was, and you have another vehicle next to it, and it's $2,000 more, but it doesn't have any of those stickers on it. I think a lot of people would really stop and think about what they wanted to do. Well, I think you're right. It it reminds me very much of when you go out to a restaurant and now the restaurant tells you how many calories are in something. You have information and visibility into your choices. And that's what you're talking about. That is correct. But I also think that many corporations are actually making the decision that they are not going to have on their shelves items that have been produced under those circumstances. So I do think there's some minimum requirement that many corporations are, including many of the big retailers are putting out there, and it's going to change the supply chains. It needs to come from the consumer and from the corporations that interface with the consumers, and then it will go back in the supply chain. So I'm an eternal optimist. I think that it's going to have an impact all the way back to the very origin of the supply chain. I'm still not sure we can totally eradicate the slave labor and unethical practices, but I think we can get really close. What are some steps that supply chain companies like ALOM, what are you doing as a company to mitigate forced labor, the risk of forced labor, and and making sure that your suppliers and your partners are operating ethically? Some of it starts with value alignment, making sure that we are all on the same page and we are aligned with the values with our suppliers and that we are treating them fairly. And then we turn around and we ask them to share with us how they are monitoring their suppliers. And sometimes we will also be part of monitoring the next tier down. Sometimes it gets hairy on the third chair and how you monitor that. So it varies how we do that. But I think it really starts with the value alignment. It's about keeping in touch with the suppliers. It's about asking questions. It's about doing on-site audits where it's possible. And certainly it's about daily vigilance as procuring items and just making sure that everything is in compliance. 
going back to the Harvard Business Review article about a more sustainable supply chain and the point that was made that ignorance is a reason for forced enslaved labor and for unethical supply chains. Do you feel like ignorance is a reason? Because to me, it feels like it's an excuse. I think that there's a lot of ignorance going on, but then at some point of time, you've got to say, how ignorant can you be? They need to understand that these type of things could happen. And if you don't ask, if you don't look, then you're part of the problem. Getting back to my dad's situation, when the Nazis started doing all kinds of things in the world, many people just didn't look, but that didn't mean that the problem was not there. And we have that in many other areas where there are abuses going on, etc. If you don't look, it doesn't mean that the problem goes away. You've got to look. And that's the only thing I can say is you've got to look. Keep your eyes open, pay attention and ask questions. Correct. Thank you for talking with me, Hannah. As always, it's a pleasure. I always end our conversations feeling far more optimistic than is my nature and definitely a lot smarter. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Supply Chain. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information or to contact ALOM, go to alom.com. That's A-L-O-M.com.